Good morning, Beaver Dam. Some of you tune in regularly to the Kingdom Encounters podcast, and some of you, this is the first time. We are living in a unique and challenging situation currently. There's not been a time when we all need a word of comfort from the Lord more than right now. And for the next four weeks through Easter, I'm briefly going to hit a pause on our study of the Gospel of Matthew, addressing questions such as, what should our response be as believers presenting Christ in a, in a time when our society is looking for hope? How, how does the church look now? How does the church function now? As I told you last week, we're not going to panic. We're not going to lose our minds. We're going to encourage one another by phone, by text, by email. We're going to seek God's face, not simply his hand of blessing. We're going to seek his face and trust his spirit to point out things in our lives that need to be set aside. Things that his spirit wants to bring to our attention things that his spirit wants to bring to our attention as his people, both as individuals and corporately as a church. We're worshiping uh, (laughs) in a different way this morning, and, and we will be having conversations in the next days as we explore some additional avenues as well. But we worship. And one way that we worship is by singing to God. And uh, maybe kind of strange that I'm bringing that up this morning as you're sitting uh, listening to the podcast. But do you know that there's power in singing? Power as we remember again the mighty acts of God as we, as we sing to Him. There's a power in, in the songs of our faith, be they historic hymns, sung down through the history of the church, uh, power in the songs of the, in the spiritual songs that, that we've sung in the last 20, 30 years. My uncle, who was a pastor, would say that we, we sing our theology. We sing what we believe. We, we sing what we know to be true because of what God's Word says. And while every line of every hymn that's ever been written may not be clear or may not even be scripturally accurate, we do sing plenty of lyrics that point to Jesus as the sinless Son of the Holy God who came to dwell with mankind and came to die as a sacrifice to atone for the sins of mankind. Every sin that would be every sin that is and every sin that will be committed. We sing about Jesus who would die for us and would be raised again to life. We sing about how each of us has the opportunity to place faith and trust in what Jesus has done for us, to believe what Jesus has done for each of us by going to the cross and and dying for each of us. We, We sing about becoming part of the body of Christ the church. We sing about Jesus, the Savior, who who will come again and claim his bride, his church. 
we proclaim these things every time we, we sing together on Sunday morning, on Wednesday nights, and while we're home mowing the yard or working in the garden, washing the dishes, or maybe while we are staying inside at this time, wanting to be good neighbors. There's, there's a classic hymn written toward the beginning of the 20th century. It was entitled uh, God of Grace and God of Glory, one that's well known to many of us. And I'm going to read a few of the lyrics. God of grace and God of glory, on thy people pour thy power. Crown thine ancient church's story, bring her bud to glorious flower. Grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the facing of this hour, for the facing of this hour. And then one of the refrains in another verse that says this, Grant us wisdom, grant us courage for the living of these days, for the living of these days. That's a prayer right there, isn't it? And this morning, as we think about the living of these days, we want to pray that the God of grace and glory would, in fact, Pour his power on his people, the church. For such a time as this, we are to pray to our Heavenly Father on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of our church, our community, our nation, our leaders. This morning, we're looking at the intersection between God's power and God's people and the privilege of prayer for the living of these days. Get your copy of God's Word and, and turn with me, please, to John chapter 14. John 14. From John 14, Jesus shares these following words during the Last Supper, just before he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Holy Spirit is promised by Jesus to the disciples at the Last Supper. And in John 14, Verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And then down in verse 25 of chapter 14, Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, but my peace. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Boy, those are words we need to hear today. We need to hear those words and remember them. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 16. In, in chapter 16, verse 5, Jesus continues. He says, But now I am going to him who sent me. That's the Father. And none of you asks me where you're going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper 
will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And down in verse 12, Jesus says this, I have many more things to say, many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. (laughs) That's an understatement. Jesus continues, but when he, the spirit of truth, when he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. And this is very important, church. In verse 14, Jesus says of the Spirit, He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Following the Last Supper, Jesus, he's arrested. Jesus, he's given a sham of a trial. Jesus is sentenced to be crucified. Jesus carries his cross to Calvary, and there his blood is shed on the cross. He becomes an atoning sacrifice for us. The sinless Son of God becomes sin for all of us and gives those of us who confess our need to have our sins forgiven. He gives to us the very righteousness of God. If one admits to being a sinner, and and I think that's the hardest part. If one admits to being a sinner and can believe that Jesus, as the Son of God, could go to the cross and pay a debt for sin that no one could pay, then that one is able to stand forgiven before God. All because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus is placed in a tomb. And three days later, Jesus is raised to life. The resurrection. And after the resurrection, there's, there's a reminder. There's a reminder. Please, please turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And this is right after the Gospel of John. Acts chapter 1, starting at the very end of verse 1, we read that all Jesus began to do and teach. In Acts 1, verse 2, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, to these, to these apostles, he also presented himself alive after his suffering, and by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of forty days, and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then down in verse 8, Jesus says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Jesus' final instructions before he ascends to heaven Jesus gives the disciples and to the church marching orders. He gives us marching orders. 
when he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And then Jesus ascends to heaven. And in verse 12 of Acts chapter 1, we read that they returned to Jerusalem from Mount Olivet. And that's a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, the disciples went up to the upper room where they were staying. And in verse 14, and this is key, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. And there in, in Acts 14, and later in chapter 2, we'll see the disciples are characterized as being continually devoted to prayer. And church, that's, that's where we have got to be in the living of these days, in our current situation really always, but especially now, constantly devoted to prayer. And in Acts chapter 1, this sets the stage for what is to come in the day of Pentecost. Going down to Acts 2, we'll see the intersection of God's power with God's people and, and prayer. The, at the beginning of chapter 2, they are all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, and these were devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing the disciples speak in his own language. The language of all of those nations from under heaven, those men that were there. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why? Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Verse 8, And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? And then, here in Acts, we see a listing of at least 15 people groups. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. God has poured out his power on his people for the sake of gospel advance. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, the Lord has empowered gospel witness, gospel witness for this group who has been continually devoted to prayer. See, that's what happens when we are continually devoted to prayer, devoted to the things of God, seeking the things of God. Then miraculous things happen. And I would say that the ability to spread the news of Christ being crucified and raised Having that shared in multiple languages, <laughs> that's a great miraculous thing of God.
And verse 12 tells us that they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? What does this mean? Indeed, what, what does this mean? Well, there's been a whole lot said and a whole lot written trying to explain what all this means. And, and in fact, different Christian denominations have been organized by these various opinions. And, and all of these groups should have one thing in common. As we saw in John chapter 16, God the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit is at work, the Holy Spirit will always glorify God the Son, who is the living Word of God. God's Word will be glorified and honored, and the Holy Spirit will not work in any way contrary to God's Word. Also, as we saw in John chapter 16, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And the Holy Spirit deals with sin before He does anything else. So before any other spiritual blessing, the Holy Spirit will deal with your sin first. He will deal with my sin first before any other, any other spiritual blessing. And in verse 13, you've got some saying, they're saying, oh, they're mocking, and they're saying, oh, they're full of sweet wine. You, you know, <laughs> there's always scoffers, aren't there? Always scoffers. And there's, a, there's Debbie Downers in every group. And in verse 14, Peter says, Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. And then Peter, from verses 16 to 21, there in Acts chapter 2, takes a word from the Lord which was given to the prophet Joel back in the Old Testament. And Peter takes that and points forward to this time when the Lord is pouring out his power on his people. And then in verse 22, Peter begins to preach the good news, the gospel. That's what the word gospel means, good news. He preaches the gospel of salvation through Jesus. And there in verse 22... He says, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Woo! Peter, he continues in verse 32. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God. Remember, Jesus has ascended there at the very beginning of the book of Acts. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Peter seeing, saying that you've seen all this, men of Judea, 
And then down in verse 36, Peter says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And then there's a mic drop. How does one respond? <laughs> How does one respond? There in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Turn from your sinful lifestyles. Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, what happens next when we see the combination of God's power and God's people in the act of prayer? And there in 41, So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. So the response here, the response, Brethren, what shall we do? In these days, what, what shall we do? What, what shall we do as the church? Jake, Jake, what do we do right now? I mean, we're not even in the building together right now. There's a word. The word is diaspora. Diaspora. And the Encyclopedia Britannica reads that the diaspora refers to the dispersion of Jews among the Gentiles after the Babylonian exile, or the present-day Jewish communities scattered, quote-unquote, in exile outside Palestine or present-day Israel. In a not dissimilar fashion as a church, we are dispersed to a degree as well, are we not? We are, but, but dispersed or not... <laughs> We're still the church. Whether or not we meet inside our facility, we are still the church. So in the living of these days, what do we do? Well, as I said earlier, we're, we're not going to panic. We're not going to lose our heads, lose our minds, lose all sense. We're going to encourage one another by phone, by text, by email, we're going to seek God's face in prayer, not simply His hand of blessing. We're going to seek His face and trust His Spirit to point out things in our lives that don't please Him. Things that His Spirit wants to bring to our attention. You see, in times like this, it's almost like what one would do with a cell phone or an iPad or tablet or a laptop. This is a hard reset. 
Our culture is having a hard reset, and we need to seek the things of God to know how to respond and listen to God. There's things that His Spirit wants to bring to our attention. As His people, as individuals, corporately as a church, And the way that he will get our attention is through his word. Through his word. So in the facing of this hour, we are to be in God's word. And we can do this. As as a church dispersed, as a church together, we can do this. Well, Jake, that's encouraging, but if I'm part of a church, but what if I'm not a part of the church? What, what if I'm not feeling secure this morning? What if I don't have peace and, and I'm afraid to face tomorrow? What, what shall one do who has not found security in Christ? Well, security comes when one is settled in Christ. And that means that that one has to let Christ deal with sin. So how does this occur? How does this occur? Well, everyone needs salvation because we've all sinned, and we we see that in Romans chapter 3. And the price or the consequence of sin is death, and we find that in Romans chapter 6. Jesus Christ died for our sins, and he paid the price for our death. And Romans chapter 5 says this, But God showed us his great love by sending Christ to die for us, while we were still sinners. See, a lot of folks get all caught up with, oh, I've got to get myself straightened out before I go to that church, or oh, I've got to get myself straightened out. No. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that well-known verse, John three sixteen, that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, unique Son, that whoever believes in Jesus would not perish, but have eternal life. We receive salvation and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. And Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says it like this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And salvation through Jesus Christ brings us into a relationship of peace with God. Wow. Well, Jake, how can I be saved? Well, you you admit that you're a sinner. You understand that as a sinner, you deserve death. And you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from sin and death and hell. And you repent by turning from your old life of sin into a new life in Christ. And you receive through faith in Jesus His free gift of salvation. And once you do this, once you do this, you will have God's Holy Spirit living inside you, comforting you, guiding you until that day you will see Jesus in glory. And that's a promise. You know, we don't, we don't know the turns in the road that are ahead of us. As a, as a culture, as a nation, we don't know. But as we read in Psalm 27 last Sunday together, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? 
And that psalm begins that way, and it ends with this word of hope. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. For the living of these days, for the living of these days, to our listeners, be strong and take courage. Jesus tells us the same at the end of John chapter 16. He says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the hope and the promise that you have given us in your word that we're able to read. And the fact that we're able to read it means that we can rely on it because we can see it again. Father, thank you for the living word, Jesus, your son, who came to dwell with us so that we could have a relationship with you. Father, thank you for our church and thank you for in the living of these days that we're able to draw near to you as a church, to seek the things of you as a church together. May your will be done. Thank you for the strong salvation that you've promised and promised us in Jesus. Thank you for that hope, that strong assurance. It's in your son's strong name we pray. Amen.